Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Hey, Brian. Hey, Andrew. You want to talk about some pits? I love talking about pits, and not my armpits. No, no, no. Let's talk about some, uh, maybe some pellet grills, maybe some direct heat pits, maybe some even, off- even offset smokers. Hey, how know? about some competition rigs? Where can you go to get all of those things in one place? I'll tell you, one of the best places to go is Pits and Smiths. Yeah, that's that's where I'd recommend you go. I mean, it's again, guys, if you haven't heard about Pits and Smiths, I I can't imagine um, because they've been in the business for decades and decades producing quality product the signature they've been sta- in the business longer than some of our listeners have been alive. oh absolutely yeah. you know the uh the stainless steel top on their pits is kind of the iconic thing that you know a pits and spits pit when you see it um but tell tell the listeners a little bit about what they what they can provide and what different type of pits you can get and you know kind of the the great features that pits and spits provides sure. i mean i mean from legacy things like wood cookers um, offset smokers, trailer rigs, competition rigs, to the to the newer fangled stuff that that's really popular right now, the pellet grills. Yeah, and and with their pellet grill, and this is as soon as Brian and I heard about this feature, we both kind of geeked out because we think it's absolutely a fantastic thing to to have as a feature for your pellet grill, and that is, you can put a meat probe which regulates the meat temperature. You put it directly in the meat. Once it hits a certain temperature, it's it switches to resting. So it's not based on the temperature of the pit. It's based on the temperature of the meat. And it is, adjusts the temperature of the pit. Uh, yes, yes, and you can adjust that temperature to where if, you know, when it hits 180, you want it to, to go into rest mode or 190 or 160, whatever, depending on what meat it is you're cooking. That's an amazing feature to be able to do. And, and part of that is because their controller isn't just based on speed. It's not a setting of one to four speeds that they most people will relabel that to heat just like artificial heat numbers right. it's actually driven by that meat probe and it keeps it at that temperature right and if you're more the purist who you know i only want to offset cook they they've got you covered there too they've got all sizes of offset pits backyard pits trailer rigs anything you can want super customizable direct heat pitch which is you know brian and i's favorite thing to talk about these days um, they've got you covered on that as well so Check them out, guys. We have a great offer for you through Pits and Spits. Go to pitsandspits.com slash tails. That's pits with two T's, spits with two T's, dot com slash tails. And use promo code tails when you make your $500 or more purchase, and you're going to get a free spice pack with that. Absolutely. And buy, buy a quality grill that you can keep for years and years, maintain for years and years, pass down from generation to generation. Um, and again, some of these pellet grills that you see in the stores for a couple hundred dollars, they're not going to last. Um, go ahead and make the investment, buy the right equipment up front, and keep it and use it and learn it and pass it down. Absolutely. That's pitsandspits.com slash tails. Check them out. Welcome to another episode of Tales from the Bits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And we're here today in Red Hog Butcher Shop. With Dustin Olson, Aaron Sorbin, James Andrews. And you guys are part of the team that does some really awesome stuff here. Um, we had a really great meal here last night. Uh, got to chat with Dustin a little bit, and so we've we've got a lot we want to get into. Um, some of the charcuterie you're doing, obviously the whole animal butchery that goes on here, how you source your product, that kind of thing. But we'll uh, we'll start with kind of the the beginnings for each one of you. Um, we'll we'll go left to right. Dustin, tell us a little bit about your background, your history, and how you got into the restaurant world and butchery yeah for sure uh, I grew up in the Carolinas um, Western North Carolina and then Western South Carolina in high school 
and grew up loving barbecue, not really cooking that much of it, but just loving the idea of it and went through a few few different phases of my life and ended up getting into competition style cooking of barbecue, which led me to want to know how to source proteins and animals better, which led me to Red Hog Butcher Shop. And I just kind of begged them until they let me work here, which is kind of how I've gotten most things in my life. You just beg until somebody lets you do it. And barbecue to you growing up in the Carolinas was whole hog, shoulder, what was? Yeah, barbecue for me in the Carolinas was whole hog or full shoulders um, on a cinder block pit most of the time. But it was also just like cookouts, family cookouts and going to friends' houses and their dads cooking barbecue in the backyard. And it was just a, it was a community thing for me more than a, a restaurant thing for me. And you mentioned, you mentioned competition. What, what were you cooking in the competition back then? Um, man, I was helping my buddy out with a competition team when I was in Nashville. Um, and honestly, that was kind of my foray into cooking a different style of barbecue that I had grown up with. And as we kind of talked about earlier, I, I found out that, that wasn't really the type of barbecue that I like to cook. And so I started getting into cooking the, the barbecue that I enjoyed eating myself. James, let's get a little bit into your uh, history in restaurant world and charcuterie and all the things that you're doing here. How did you get your start? Yeah, sure. Um, so my history with food and cooking, um, my grandmother was a big proponent of uh, teaching me how to cook as a child. Um, you know, I remember like making gravy and stuff like that with her. And then um, I remember like as a kid, you know, just watching like Food Network and stuff like that. And I uh, was so interested in uh, charcuterie and salami and how much people were really you know excited about it and I was like man I really wanted to get into that and uh, so eventually you know I made my way into restaurants uh, and did you grow I, up in the Louisville or the Kentucky I, area or? Um, no actually I grew, I grew up in uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia okay about 30 minutes from Roanoke um, and uh, barbecue there actually was um, the North Carolina style or Carolina Carolina style barbecue uh, was more common since you know close proximity. Was that like one of the Brunswick stew regions? I know Virginia lays claim um, to to Brunswick stew, or they're one of the ones. That yeah, lays claim. Okay. yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a, a common thing on a lot of menus there. Uh, but I always really enjoyed the North Carolina style or Carolina style barbecue. Um, and then I moved to Louisville about about 15 years ago and was working in restaurants here and the chef a couple of places and then having a family you know kind of didn't really mesh with the second shift restaurant life and so i was able to get on here and learn more than i could ever imagine about all the cool cool butchery aspects that i wanted to know Aaron, let's Aaron? talk about your uh, your history and background. And yeah, so um, I'm from western Kentucky, um, in the middle of nowhere, uh, south of Paducah, uh, where Kentucky Lake is. Um, yeah, I grew up enjoying barbecue. Um, most of the style down there is just a hodgepodge of everything else. Um, but some places did it fairly well. Um, and those places uh, had been around since the 50s and 60s there, so they were really established. There's two places that I know of. Uh, one's called Harned's, and the other one is called Starnes, and they're both in Paducah. They've been around for a long time. Um, I got into being a butcher 
because whenever I moved up here to Louisville uh, about 15 years ago as well, that uh, I couldn't get a job anywhere. Uh, I moved up here like right before the recession and uh, had a degree and couldn't get a job with that. So one of the places that called me was Whole Foods and wanted me to work as a meat clerk. And the other place that called me was the Humane Society and they wanted me to wash dogs. <laughs> so I took the job as a meat clerk. Um, we, we would have a totally different episode if you'd taken the other job. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I took the job as a meat clerk uh, in the meat department. Uh, worked my way up through that. Uh, got an apprenticeship program uh, through that in Ohio. And then ended up working at Whole Foods for about five years as a butcher and a meat cutter, just like a box meat cutter supermarket. Um, and then I left there and started cooking and baking. Um, did a wholesale bakery for a while that supplied restaurants. Uh, and then became a, a fine dining line cook for a while and then tried to get into barbecue by working at a barbecue restaurant here. Um, and it wasn't for me, so I went and ended up working on a saddlebred horse farm in Georgia for a while. And whenever I was working as a line cook, I had an old boss that he taught me some charcuterie and I started learning about that and he said that he always wanted to open up a butcher shop, and we talked about it all the time. And one day I was down there in the barn uh, helping train some horses and got a phone call from him, and he said, would you move back up to Louisville if we were gonna open up a butcher shop? And I said, we? And he goes, yeah, I would like to have you aboard, on board, and I would like you to meet some people. And um, I ended up meeting Kit Garrett, uh, who owns this place, and uh, they hired me to help start this place, and that was six years ago. Yeah, maybe six. seven. No, six. Yeah, something like that. So, okay. So the concept from the yeah, beginning was always going to be a butcher shop. With was the charcuterie charcuterie program part of it from the beginning, or did it kind of evolve over time? Yes. So originally, what this place was meant to be was an outlet for uh, Kit and her husband at the time were raising red wattle hogs and they wanted to bring really good pork to uh, Louisville dining scene and things like that so it was kind of the end to a means wherever attaching the butcher shop he'd be able to raise the pigs um, and then we would be able to process them and break them down and then he'd be able to sell it in the restaurant we'd be able to sell it in the shop and people would be able to go to a place and actually buy quality meat um, so that was the original idea and charcuterie was always involved with it um, just because of the added value and the way that you know you can utilize the pig um, it can go much further so yeah that that was about six years ago and then um my buddy who i started this with he left um to 
to pursue bigger and better different things and I took over about two years ago and just been rolling to the wheels fall off since and, and we're gonna talk in a lot more detail about all of the different things that you're doing here because it's it's pretty amazing and we got to see the coolers and the dry aging and, oh, right. and the yeah. fermenting so and and we're geeks on that so we'll talk about that I, I do want to you know you mentioned Western Kentucky um, and and you know we came through and we had mutton and we had burgoo um, we can maybe tell the audience uh, and a little bit about that but um, you know we were always wondering you know why mutton why is it here instead of other parts of the country and and Dustin had a really good story about mutton that if you'd like to enlighten us again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the history of, of barbecue and meat in general. Um, but yeah, so Kentucky was the largest wool producer in North America and the world um, in like the late 1800s and early 1900s. And then World War One rolled around and the government started subsidizing uh, lamb and sheep farms to bump up the wool production for the soldiers overseas. And then the war ends and all these farmers have a ton of sheep that they're not really sure what to do with now that the wool production isn't what they thought it was going to be post-war and they've already created all the clothes they wanted to. And so they started slaughtering them and eating them. Um, and that's how they got really, really good at cooking mutton. And they would cook it whole normally or quartered up on the pit um, on an open fire pit. And yeah, that's why mutton's so big in, uh, in Kentucky is because of our massive wool operation in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And the, the lamb farms have kind of died off since then, but the the lore still kind of remains of, of mutton barbecue in, in Kentucky. So, and this, anyone can jump in on this one. So as far as heritage breed hog or really high quality pork, was that, was that prevalent in Kentucky or is this, you guys are kind of, I won't say the first, but at the forefront of that. So what's kind of the history of, of pork and hog butchery and cooking in, in this area? Well, um, I mean, there's always been a lot of livestock in Kentucky, um, and we have a great concentration actually of beef, uh, cattle being raised here. Um, one of the bigger operation, or you know, it's one of the bigger concentrations of, of cattle um, east of the Mississippi. Um, but with pigs, I, I believe that you know it, it was just a trend that you know has been followed for like the past 20 years of people getting back into heritage breeds and trying to really raise quality pork. Um, and there's people that are around here that have always been doing it. I mean, there's, there are people that are on, you know, third, fourth generation farms that all they've been doing is raising uh, pigs at a small level and getting them processed at, you know, their local place, which have gotten fewer and far between. Um, but I mean, I know some people that raise great pork um, and they've been doing it the same way and they actually end up, they actually end up selling it, um, to Swift to get processed, you know, because that's what makes their money at this point. Right. Um, but they raise great pork. Um, so, you know, I, I guess it's always kind of been around. Um, but I don't think that the trend has necessarily been, um, super hyped up until like the past decade. I would say. Now you you guys have stuffed on the wall one of the first hogs that was slaughtered for here, um, and I, I, Virgil. Virgil, mm -hmm. um, which was also a red wattle. Um, is, is there a particular breed that you guys are really a, a fan of, especially from a butchery perspective, because you get to see the, the cuts of meat that comes out of it, um, or 
is, is the technology, if you will, of, of the heritage hog breeding really just building these, these really excellent specimens of animals? Well, they all do differ, um, you know, different uh, small differences in bone structure and a lot of different fat skin. Um, personally, for me, I really like working with Duroc uh, pork uh, just because it's so versatile. You can use it for the case as a, a fresh item and it makes good charcuterie as well. Um, I've, you know, I've dealt with some other heritage breeds that particularly for me and what we do here or for us and what we do here uh, just isn't the right fit because we need it to be as versatile as possible to you know sell a pork chop in the restaurant but be able to sell pork out of the case and be able to utilize as much of it as possible to make charcuterie and value-added things like our you know bologna and stuff like that so. are, are some heritage breeds bred for particular cuts then so like you've, you've got some that are bred more for ribs and some bred more for the hams or not necessarily like ribs versus hams but charcuterie pigs versus lard pigs versus meat pigs yeah the uh, mangalisa have that really really thick fat cap which um, is great for charcuterie in certain applications but not to necessarily for pork chops in the case Right, yeah, that'd be like a, a great example of a charcuterie pig. But also people, like the people with pig eugenics that are like breeding certain things into their hogs right now be like, I have 7% mangalese in my bloodline. You know what I mean? So people are yeah. breeding certain parts of it into it, but like pure bloodlines are hard to see nowadays because everybody's gotten into pig genetics so much, people are crossbreeding. So let's kind of go through start to finish process of how you source your hogs and, and the whole process they go through once they come in in terms of butchery, charcuterie on the menu in the meat case you know what's what's kind of your process as you as you get fresh product in um yeah so we'll get whole hogs from a local farmer and we'll um hang them up in our room for a number of days so you know it'll firm up a little bit because a lot of times we'll get them and they're freshly killed and rigor rigor mortis hasn't even set in yet um, so after it's firmed up, uh, we'll, you know, take a day, we'll start breaking it down and thinking about, you know, if we need to make bacon or if we're going to do some dry cured charcuterie with it, or if, you know, we need to grind a certain amount of it. It's really just, um, kind of at the whim of our production list and what we need to make, uh, which is great because we can use all of it. We'll make pork stock out of the roasted bones, we'll make dog treats out of the skin. Um, but once we figure out what we need, then we'll start getting to work and processing it. Anyone that's listened to our show long enough knows that we are geeks for sausage. Um, and so we were geeking out as Dustin was showing us the different sausages that you guys do here. Um, let the audience know a little bit about the different sausages that you guys make in house. Yeah, that's 100% James. James is the charcuterie sausage man, so I'll, I'll defer to James for that one. Oh, and yeah. Aaron, they're they're um, master sausage makers. Um, yeah, so um, we have, you know, wanted to make, like, an elevated, really high-quality version of, you know, everyone's tried-and-true favorites, you know, like your Italian sausage, um, breakfast sausage. We'll do hot dogs, bratwurst, um, polar sausage and jalapeno cheddar, smoked sausages, um, out of, you know, just the links. We've uh, 
recently changed our hot dog recipe from you know all pork to this really high quality beef that we get now and some of the best hot dogs I've ever had um, and then we'll make um, really great bologna we'll make different kinds of dry cured salamis and like cooked salamis like a summer sausage will ferment you know for three days over the weekend get a nice tang to it and smoke it on our barbecue smoker um, we really try to figure out what we want to make and how to make it the best that we possibly can that kind of applies to everything that we we make here which is it's really cool when you're in a establishment with a lot of really passionate talented people so so you know you, sausage is one thing fermenting um, brings in a whole nother level of complexity yeah and, and we saw the, the beautiful fermenting room oh my god that was so cool uh, how did you get into fermenting and, and like did you use any books or was this hands-on what was what was kind of your influence on, on getting into that aspect um actually kind of all of the above um, when I started here I knew next to nothing about fermentation and um, as I was able to learn more here it really kind of sparked my interest more I did a lot more research I joined a lot of like um, forums on the internet and groups and just kind of dove in and additionally I was also trained by um, the one of the guys that opened the place that Aaron was talking about previously, uh, Duncan, he um, kind of made all these base recipes and then we added on to them, tweaked them, and, and then once we got good enough to, you know, consistently make these and we were able to kind of branch out and start doing our own things. Like uh, I was able to put a Genoa salami in the case and it's that's my baby that's one of my favorite ones and then we started doing kind of wackier stuff like we did a smoky barbecue salami we figured out how to make that and he, he doesn't really know wacky so just yeah. 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 yeah after the show we'll show, we'll show you yeah. some wacky stuff that people are doing with sausage yeah but like wacky in a way like let's try this and yeah the ways you're talking about are wacky good yeah like wacky good as in like let's just come up with a wild idea and see if we can make it work and we've yep. done it several times or you know that's one of the ethos it's, of this place. Is let's make yeah. something weird and see if it works. We'll, we'll come up with an Can idea we and we'll talk we about it yeah. for weeks or months. And it's like our filet burger, you know? Like we put a filet, <laughs> filet ground filet trim out there and people go crazy over it. Like, yeah. And we started grinding up our tenderloin chains and making like what we call them filet mignon burgers. And we made it, I, I literally hand shot the first one and I made it as a joke. And we cooked it and ate it, and we were like, holy shit, we got to put this in the cage, y'all. This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what's really great, to have the kind of creative freedom and then to be able to talk about it and think about the process, kind of get a good idea of what you're going to end up with before you even get started on it. And that's what this place has kind of provided to us. It's really neat. Let's let's talk some dry aging because yeah we, we got to see the dry age room as well and that was you know again we're nerds for stuff like this so Aaron do you want to talk a little about the dry aging program that you guys do here? Uh, yeah so um, what we do is we there's two different things uh, so basically we get supplemental 107s which are whole rib loins 
with uh, the feather bones attached. Um, we found that that works fairly well for dry aging. Um, and we've got a rack in there. Um, and then we also bring in sides of beef, which we let hang as well, depending upon uh, if they've already been hanging for so many days, we keep track of that. We keep a log of the moisture loss and just by weighing it um, before and after. Uh, we, lo we look to get it around 35 to 40 days, um, but that doesn't always happen because, you know, business dictates how long we age things. Um, but now, uh, you know, we're doing everything in dry age as much as we can. And we take the dry age uh, trim and we also use it to, for our ground beef program. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically all about like uh, water loss and how many days it's aging and just kind of tending to it. You don't really have to tend to it much, but just make sure that no bad bacteria grows in there. Um, and uh, Dustin actually, whenever whenever I first took over, uh, Dustin and James both had their special interest because you know we do so much stuff here that I thought that it was best to utilize them for their interests and um, get them focused on different aspects of the butcher shop. And so Dustin actually took over the dry aging program. Um, been about a year now at this point. Um, but yeah, just keeping a log of it, uh, trying to find the sweet spot. We do take things a little bit further to see, you know, how they can go. We've had, you know, in the past, we've let things go 70, 90 days. Um, and besides the spectacle of it, I don't think that there's necessarily, you know, there's a point of diminishing returns. It sure yeah. is. Yeah. It, it really sure is. is. Yeah. It starts to develop a, a flavor, uh, profile that, uh, we don't necessarily enjoy that much, uh, but some folks do. And, uh, and like the, the blue, the blue cheese of meat. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and the amount of loss too, just gets to be uh, a little bit too much, especially whenever, you know, our whole, ethos here is to basically use as much as we possibly can and not waste anything um, you know that's also part of the chemistry between the restaurant and the butcher shop is the fact that you know if we have product in the butcher shop that we might be running long on we can always utilize it in the restaurant uh, so we just minimize waste as much as possible across the board um, so okay so is there an animal you guys have done so much butchery is here and there's so much on the menu is there an animal that you guys haven't done yet that you would like to jump into or bison yeah bison, yeah, bison, bison would be bison bad. yep all across the board <laughs> okay. yeah we're really interested to see how that would turn out and uh i'd love to get some mutton to play with too honestly yeah. it's kind of difficult to get a hold of i mean again like as you've elevated and and you know there's other people like elliot moss that that did heritage hogs as well like and you're bringing that up it's interesting you know yeah mutton and hector you, and hector yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, of hector. course yeah, yeah. And, and as you bring up you know these these animals and elevate the quality like mutton would be an interesting one because it's it's again it, it's a very blue collar low-end meat that you just don't see a lot of higher end i mean at, at high-end restaurants you do but not, yeah. at, right. not at butchery shops yeah yeah i mean the, the use or lack thereof of lamb and and barbecue especially has just really died off the last several decades you just don't see as much of it anymore um, but 
going taking it back a little bit to barbecue dustin's kind of gotten to scratch that itch lately here i know that you guys are doing monthly barbecue services yep um how's that been going it's been going great i had a great opportunity here uh like i said i'm like i i give all credit to red hog i am 100 percent a product of red hog like everything i know about the meat industry and the history and and, and the knowledge i've gained breaking down animals is all 100 percent been a product of red hog so they gave me a really cool opportunity to start doing my my own barbecue pop-ups here once a month um and it's, it's been met with great success i've had a lot of great feedback i enjoy doing it um about once a month with a full-time job is about as much as i want to do it um but yeah i've, I've really been enjoying it they've, they've let me get really good at cooking old hogs and cooking all all different styles of barbecue and that's what i love here is like every day on the smokers out back it's not barbecue it's tomatoes and it's charcuterie and it's quail and it's like i smoke a lot of different things other than barbecue barbecue is like a very small thing in, in what i actually smoke on a day-to-day -day basis for the restaurant so that, that's one thing to to make note of the the menu does change in general um, these barbecue pop-ups they can find out about it at, at the red hog website it's on the red hog website yep yep and we promote them a, a month out and then every week after that uh, it's called sunday smokeouts with uncle d um and our next one is september 19th that's that's pretty cool that, that you've gotten to scratch that itch but it still fits within the format of what red hog is and what it still helps red hog yeah and people still get local sustainable barbecue which is a, it's it's a hard thing to, to find honestly Right. Well, taking it back to, and, and we always try to remind everyone of this, especially in Texas barbecue where everyone wants to just be the Instagram star and doesn't think, hey, I'm actually running a business and need to be profitable. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's obviously what the goal of any business is. So, you know, once you, once you guys got this place open, it was, I'm assuming there's not a ton of places like this around Louisville. How, how did the locals react to it? How's the reception been? And, and what have you noticed, you know, just between the butcher shop and the restaurant, it's how it's been received? Well, I think our initial hopes were to just service the community that surrounds us. And with the butcher shop, we've definitely done that. It's been a steady uphill climb um, and of, of gaining repeat customers and regulars and things like that. And at this point, we have a lot of folks who come in every week. We know their name, we, you know, we know you know their families and things like that and the same thing happened with the restaurant as well um, so we've definitely been successful in that aspect of it um, and you know overall I think people really come here and they're impressed you know just by the scope of everything um, from us having you know like I said our weekly customers that come in every single week and they feed their family through the butcher shop um, or we have people who come here for a private dining event um, and are able to eat in the butcher shop and just see the spectacle of it all. Uh, I think that it's been received fairly well. I mean, you know, it could always be better, but I, I think at this point we're doing the right work and we're headed in the right direction with it. You know, one of the things in addition to all of the meats is, is the breads and the baked goods, which comes from your, your sister restaurant, the Blue Dog Bakery. Um, you can also purchase some of that here, I saw as well. Um, so kind of end to end, nose to tail, end to end, there we go. Uh, but bakery's also another another important piece to the business here. Absolutely. Um, you know. We would not be here without that bakery. 100%, because they are a Louisville institution at this point. They've been around over 20 years. Um, they supply pretty much 
any good restaurant, any good um, grocery store, or anything like that with their uh, artisan breads. Um, they're really known for their baguettes, and their baguettes are sought after all the way up to like Indy and Cincinnati, they send them to. So um, we definitely would not be here without, you know, the help of our sister company. One thing Dustin mentioned, and, you know, we'll talk about it for the the barbecue-loving people that listen to the show. Everything, yes, it's not a barbecue restaurant. Everything here, almost everything on this menu is touched by fire, though. You know, between the pizzas that go in the wood-fire oven, you know, everything, or the the wood-fired pork chop that we had yesterday was just phenomenal. I mean, the quality of the meat shines through on the the final plate. You know, we uh, we had the dry-aged burger yesterday, which was great. Um, The pork chop was on a hog yesterday before y'all ate it. Yeah. Wow. Yesterday wow. morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday morning it was on a it was a pig yesterday. It was and it was delicious. Good lord. <laughs> um, but let's let's talk about what are what are some of the things you'd recommend for people coming to the butcher shop that you know that maybe haven't had a chance to try your product yet. What are some of like the things that are like these are the these are the gateway meats or the gateway charcuterie that you guys you know should try when you come to Red Hog for the first time. James, we'll start with you. Um, one thing that really stands out is city ham. We make really awesome city ham you know that's their your butcher shop deli staple you know smoked smoked ham yeah so go to the you'll you'll have three different hams i think was it three different ones what are the differences week we'll have five different hams yeah what 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 makes those differences so i don't know what a city ham is so a city ham is like your your classic smoked smoked ham your deli style ham ham and cheese sandwich ham Mm mm-hmm yep yeah that's one of my most favorite things that we make here it is it's just What's That's the sequ- probably What's the, secret, James? the secret, man. It's 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 cheer wine. Cheer wine's great. <laughs> another another Carolina staple. It it doesn't taste like cheer wine at all. It just tastes more hammy. Another thing we started as a joke. Another it, thing, hundred yeah. percent. I, I shout out to Sam Jones. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't get away. Every time we take a trip out here, we we end up with uh, with a bunch of cheer wine stories. Some some of them we can tell on the show. Some we can't. Uh, but yes, Cheerwine, Big Red is the thing in Texas. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the equivalent. I mean, if you're from Texas, you probably like Big Red better. If you're not from Texas, I don't like uh, either of them, but that's just me. People they taste like too, candy. But, uh, <laughs> it's RC Cola for me. I'm, I love RC oh, Cola. Oh, man. Now you're talking my childhood. Hey. <laughs> RC Cola and Moon Pie, man. Yeah, so definitely the City Ham um, and Mortadella, Bologna. Like, people think it's a joke when they're like, hey, <laughs> What uh, what do you recommend? I'm like bologna, and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, man, I can tell you exactly what's in it. It's I, I made none of that. I made it for the first time this year, <laughs> and and I grew up. Obviously, it's kind of it's the same thing, kind of like heritage hog versus commodity hog. Yep. You grow up on a certain flavor profile, yep. and then you get it where it's made with the right ingredients and made with with quality. And it's, and it's, it's a whole different product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but um, so we do carry other hams as well. Um, We'll carry a couple different products from Broadbent um, Country Hams out in Katawa. Katawa? Katawa. Katawa. Sorry, Mm -hmm. it's hard to say. I'm not not from Kentucky. Uh, But uh, (laughs) so we do uh, carry their cooked country ham and their um, heritage ham, which the heritage ham is kind of like a cross between a redneck prosciutto. It's a redneck prosciutto. It's kind of like a redneck prosciutto. Uh, in, a, in a country ham, it's that's kind of how we recommend people serve that. 
And we're just big fans of Broadbent. They just do oh, some yeah. killer stuff. Their bacon big, is insane. They win, the, they win the state fair every year for the, and they just won again for the 13th oh, year yeah, they in a row like, for, their, they, for their country ham. It was like a $5 million. It's a $5 million ham. Yeah. yeah, they auction it off at the end every year after the state fair. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Um, then yeah, like our hot dogs. Hot dogs are great. Um, any of the dry cured stuff. How about your Fioco and Culatello hands? Oh yeah, we do have uh, Fioco and Culatello. So Fioco is just kind of like a miniature prosciutto. It'd be the and, quad uh, of the ham. Yeah, and your Culatello is the hamstring of the. Yeah, it's uh, the heart of the, of the prosciutto, but it's boneless, and we figured out how to. You know, make them here without you know some of the traditional methods, but we figured out how to make it work for us, and it's great. It's fantastic. It's, I think, one of my favorite things that we make. Well, <laughs> I want to tell a quick story, real quick. Um, as the, long as it's not cheer wine. <laughs> oh yeah, no cheer wine. No cheer wine. But uh, we're talking about hams. Um, whenever before they started, uh, we made bone-in, full-on, prosciutto-style hams here. I, whenever I say we, I did that <laughs> because nobody else really wanted to do it because um, it took up so much time, so much space. It was like a really, really labor-intensive uh, process. How long did that ham age, Aaron? Um, we had all the way from 24 months to probably... 34, 35. It's <laughs> a, a lot of time to take up real estate in that dry Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a, it was the entire leg, too. So yeah. what we did was we helped. Um, we helped a, a farm basically liquidate all of their livestock. And with that being said, I was doing approximately eight hams at a time every week for about two months. Um, and that filled that back room. <laughs> and once we got through all of that, I kind of said, we're going to do Culatello's and Fiocos only, uh, just because it took so long and they were so big. Um, it was a really good product, but at the end of it, it just did not make sense for us to keep on doing it. And, uh, and everybody at the shop has injured themselves trying to bone out one of those hams. <laughs> every, every, every person. Yep. Absolutely. You know, whenever we first started doing it, other people were definitely interested. And then about <laughs> in two, three weeks, everybody was like, no, nah, if, you, if you've got it, man, you're doing it better than we are anyway. So you can just go ahead and do it. You know? mm -hmm. One thing that is amazing and, and worth noting, I mean, the footprint of this entire establishment is really small. I mean, it's yep. like a like a, a gas station convenience store size, not even, not a Bucky's. Um, but it used to be a transmission shop. Yeah, it used to be a transmission shop, but yet you're putting out all of these different products and all of these programs, um, and, and that just speaks volumes to the crew that you have and how you can manage that. Uh, because all of the different items on the menu, all the different cuts of meat, a butchery shop, the charcuterie program, all of that in this space is, is amazing. Yeah, and we wouldn't be able to do it without each other. I mean, we've got a really strong team um, across the board, and I think that without them, there's no way that this place could just function, you know? Everybody has to bring their A game pretty much every day. Yeah, 100%. I, yeah, reiterating, I've never worked at a place that had this much talent in it before. Like, there's some real special folks here. 
Uh, well, makes it really, uh, really great. All, all you have to do is look at the food on the plate and look at the food in the case, and you can tell that the people that are behind it are passionate about what they're doing because you can see the reverse when people aren't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so it, it does it does stand out, you know, when, when you see the quality of product that's that's being produced here. Um, Dustin, do you have a couple of things on the menu that, that are your favorite things, whether it's on the restaurant menu or the butcher, butchery shop? Yeah, anything Chef Katie's doing on the restaurant side is, is awesome. Like you said, everything's touched by flame, uh, whether it's on the grill or the pizza oven or it's cooked before service on the grill and ready to be brought up. Um, everything's either touched smoke or fire that comes off the menu, um, and that's awesome. Um, as far as the butcher shop goes, like my biggest recommendation is just like trust, trust the people that run the butcher shop to steer you in the right direction. So many people come in and they'll – They'll ask for a recommendation and we'll give it. I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. I'll take two fillets. 100%. Um, and that's cool. A fillet has its place, but you can get that anywhere, and we always have that. And there's really, really special stuff in the case that aren't in any other butcher shops in the state um, that we think are really special that we try and push. And just don't be afraid. We've cooked everything that is in that case, and we've eaten everything, and we wouldn't be selling it to you if we didn't think it was really special. Um, some of the weird stuff, like if we put an oyster steak out there, we put a Merlot steak out there, we put a Las Vegas strip or a Denver or like steaks that people haven't cooked before, we can tell you exactly how to cook it and how to eat it and, and what you should cook it on and what you should eat it with. Um, and we're telling you that because we do it personally and we've done it a lot and we know the best way to cook it. So yeah, my biggest recommendation is trust the people behind the counter. That's, that's why they're there. They love it. It's what we did was we, we you know, we, we do it a lot of times, but not always, but you know, we, we asked the waiter, you know, what would you eat? Not what do you recommend. But not what sells the most. What would yes, you eat? Exactly. What would you, what would you yeah. eat? Yeah. Like, you know, what is your favorite item that you eat on the menu? And and that led us to the, the two dishes that we got, which were great. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Guys, thank you so much. I know we're right in the middle of you guys getting prepped on. So we appreciate you taking the time. Let everyone know best place to find you, whether that's on, you know, website, social media, best place for people to, you know, stay clued in on what's going on at Red Hog. Yeah, honestly, follow at Red Hog Artisan Meat for everything we're doing week by week. A lot of our, our butchery stuff gets put up there. Um, my personal Instagram is at the Dustin Dean. Um, I post a lot of the cool stuff that we do and take videos of the stuff we're doing and post the cool cuts that we have. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram as well. Um, I'm just at Aaron Sortman. Uh, yeah, you can also find me on social media as well. Instagram's kind of just what we all use. I'm at probably James though. Um, but yeah, you can find us all at, at Red Hog Butcher on Instagram. And what are your hours and days of the week here? Uh, so we're open Tuesday through Saturday, uh, Tuesday through Friday. The butcher shop is open from 10 until 6, and on Saturday it's open from 9 until 4, and then the restaurant's open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 10. So get some bourbon out in bourbon country. Uh, come in before the butcher shop closes because the charcuterie is worth it. Um, but also come in for dinner. Great patio out here. You know, we, we're from Texas where it's like 100 degrees and 120% <laughs> humidity this week. Um, so it's, it's so refreshing to come here. But thanks again. Great, great restaurant. Great program. Um, love to come back to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, this is definitely, it should be on your list if you're coming to Louisville. If, obviously, if you're local in Louisville, if you haven't been here, what the hell are you waiting for? Get over here. Um, really exciting stuff that you guys are producing. And again, the, the talent and the passion for what you're doing shines through. So thank you, gentlemen. Awesome. Thanks, y'all. Thank, thank you all for coming. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. for having us.